Our scripture reading today comes from Luke 22, 31 to 34, and 54 to 65. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Peter said to him, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day until you deny three times that you know me. Then they seized him and led him away, bringing him into the high priest's house. And Peter was following at a distance. And when they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat down among them. Then a servant girl, seeing him as he sat in the light and looking closely at him, said, This man also was with him. But he denied it, saying, Woman, I do not know him. And a little later, someone else saw him and said, You also are one of them. But Peter said, Man, I am not. And after an interval of about an hour, still another insisted, saying, Certainly this man also was with him, for he too is a Galilean. But Peter said, Man, I do not know what you are talking about. And immediately, while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he had said to him, before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. Now the men who were holding Jesus in custody were mocking him as they beat him. They also blindfolded him and kept asking him, Prophesy, who is that who struck you? And they said many other things against him, blaspheming him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. A few months ago, we introduced you to Brent and Emily Nelson. Brent is our new pastoral resident here at the Leewood campus of Christ Community. And today, he is sharing his first sermon. But before we get to that, I just wanted to remind you how impactful and important your generosity has been in serving Brent and Emily in our pastoral residency program. Every two years, we bring on new pastoral residents uh, to train with us as kind of a teaching hospital uh, to prepare for ministry all across the country and all across the world in and through the local church. And this is just one way your support and generosity moves the mission of Christ community forward uh, to God's glory. So thank you, thank you, thank you. And if you haven't been able to meet Brent yet, and I know that's a crazy time right now, We've got his email here, and I'd love for you, even after this sermon, to send him a note of welcome and encouragement if you haven't done that yet. We love you guys. Thank you so much for all that you do for Christ Community. And now, let's hear from Brent. Hello, Christ Community. My name is Brent Nelson, and I'm the new pastoral resident here at the Leewood campus. Um, and uh, I'm excited to be here along with my wife, Emily, and our two boys, Caleb and Joel. You should see their pictures on the screen right now. Um, Emily and I have been married for a little over 10 years, and our boys are currently in second grade and kindergarten, and they are a ton of fun. And we moved down to Kansas City back in December uh, after I finished up my Master of Divinity degree at Trinity Evangelical Divinity School. 
in Chicago. And uh, pastoral ministry is actually a, a second career for me. Uh, before attending seminary, I spent uh, almost 10 years working for a software company in Wisconsin. And that, that experience in the business world has made me really excited to be here because I know that this church cares so much about connecting Sunday to Monday. And uh, well, I'm excited to be here. I'm excited to, uh, to learn from you and to serve with you and to be a part of what God is doing here in Kansas City. Uh, but I'm also a little bit nervous. Um, I'm nervous in part because it's become all too common for us to hear stories of Christian leaders uh, who fail. Sometimes those are high-profile things that make the national news, and sometimes they're not. Um, and on the one hand, these failures are shocking, and they're deeply disappointing, and they can be really hurtful to those of us who uh, knew those people, who looked up to them. Um, on the other hand, they're, they're really humbling, and they're kind of scary, uh, because we know that no one is happier than Satan when another Christian leader fails. And it's humbling to me because I know that I have the same enemy and uh, that I have the same capacity for evil inside of me. And so today, as we continue in our series called Rediscovering Jesus' Kingdom, where we've been looking at the character of our king, the character of his kingdom, and the character of his kingdom people, we're going to talk about failure. It's a great topic for my first sermon, right? Um, and we're going to be looking at the story of Peter, someone from Jesus' innermost circle, and his, his failure. We're talking about his, his threefold denial of Jesus. But before we even get there, I want to ask a bigger picture question. Why is this story even in the Bible? And why is it so important that all four gospel writers uh, make sure to tell us about it? I mean, if you think about it, it's kind of an embarrassing story about Peter, and it interrupts what is really a much a, a, a larger narrative flow that's entirely focused on Jesus. Back in Luke 19, Jesus uh, enters into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. Then Jesus teaches in the temple courts all week. And then Jesus uh, has his last supper with his disciples. And then Jesus prays in the garden, Jesus gets arrested, Jesus goes on trial, Jesus is crucified, and Jesus rises from the dead. Why in the midst of all these stories about Jesus do we get this, this kind of aside about Peter? Why is it so important for us to hear this story? Well, I think it's, it's there in part to remind us that as disciples, even those of us who are closest to Jesus, we will fail. And we often think about Peter's uh, threefold denial of Jesus as his failure, and, and certainly it was. But I want us to see that Peter's denial of Jesus is actually the culmination of a series of failures that have already taken place throughout that night. And those failures are what lead to ultimately lead to his big failure when the spotlight is on him. And isn't that how it often is with us? Uh, we're tempted to think when we fail in key moments that it's just a, it's just, it was just a momentary thing, a momentary lapse. But so often, isn't it the case for us um, that it's, it's the culmination of a series of decisions we've already made or failures that have already happened? Let me give you an example. Um, uh, perhaps I, I lose my temper um, at my kids for doing something in the evening. And it's tempting for me to think that that was just an isolated event. But if I step back and think about it, well, maybe I, spent, uh, I, I stayed up too late the night before watching television. And so I was tired and didn't have the normal patience I would have that day. And in the morning, I woke up, and I was thinking about the big presentation I had to give at work. And so instead of spending some time reading my Bible and praying, I practiced my presentation. And then the presentation went really well, but I'm, I, I'm driving home angry at my boss for not recognizing the good job that I did. And so by the time I get home, the, uh, the, the seeds are already sown. The stage is already set for me uh, because I'm, I'm angry, um, I'm tired. 
and I didn't spend time with Jesus today. And the stage is already set for me to blow up when my kids do something that might be a little bit annoying. And so when I think about it, you know, if I had gotten enough sleep last night, and if I had spent that time with the Lord, and if I had dealt with my feelings of anger toward my boss, uh, maybe I wouldn't have blown up at the kids. And it turns out that maybe losing my temper wasn't an isolated event after all. So let's start today by looking at three factors that contributed to Peter's denial and can contribute to our failure in key moments as well. And then we're going to look at how Jesus restores Peter, which gives us hope that in the same way, he'll restore us when we fail as well. So turn with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter 22, and we're going to start in verse 31. And as you go there, I'm just going to provide some quick context. Um, this is this conversation between Jesus and Peter. It takes place uh, during the Last Supper, kind of toward the end of that meal. Um, Judas has already agreed to betray Jesus and is off the scene. Um, Jesus has had a conversation with his disciples about instituting a new covenant with them. And they've kind of bickered among themselves about which one of them is the greatest. And here in, in verse 31, read with me. It says, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. There's a few things I want us to see here in just these two verses. First, um, you're going to hear two names, Simon and Peter. It's important to know that that's the same person, which is a little confusing. But uh, it's, uh, remember that his given name by his parents is Simon and that Jesus renames him Peter, which in Greek means rock. Uh, though we'll see that Peter uh, acts anything but rock-like here in this story. Second, uh, Satan, it says that Satan demanded to have you, and that you in Greek is a plural, so it's a Texas y'all there, um, that Satan, even though Jesus is speaking directly to Peter, um, is saying, he's saying that Satan has demanded to have all of the disciples, that he might sift them like wheat. And that, that imagery that he's using of sifting like wheat, um, what's happening there is that um, uh, when you would harvest your, your grain, your wheat, um, you'd, you'd make a big pile and you had to separate the kernel of grain that's on the inside uh, from the husk around it that's worthless. And so what they would do is they would harvest their grain, they'd, they'd put it in a big pile, and uh, they'd use a winnowing fork, which is kind of like a pitchfork, and they would, they would scoop it up and they'd toss it in the air, and the wind uh, would blow away the chaff, the, the husk from around the kernel that was worthless, and it would blow it away and the grain would fall to the ground. So there's this picture of, of picking up the wheat and throwing it in the air. So Satan wants to do this to the disciples so that they'll be scattered by the wind. And this is evidence uh, of a real spiritual war that's taking place. Um, it says you, there's, a, there's a very active role that Satan plays in this entire chapter in the Gospel of Luke. Um, starting in, in uh, 22 verse 3, we saw that Satan entered Judas. Um, and we don't have time to get into exactly what that might mean. Uh, but it's clear that Satan is going to have an active role in Judas's betrayal. Here we see that um, just like Satan, his, Satan's role in the first couple of chapters of Job, that Satan is, is kind of approaching the throne of God and demanding um, that, that he would sift the disciples like wheat. Uh, later in the narrative, verse 53, when Jesus is being arrested, um, he's going to say, um, this is your hour and the power of darkness. Um, or that when darkness reigns, is a picture of kind of darkness closing in um, in this moment, and evil closing in. But on the other side of the spiritual war, um, when Jesus is praying in the garden, we see that he's strengthened by an angel. Um, and we also see here that Jesus is praying for Peter. So while Satan is demanding to sift the disciples like wheat, on the other side, Jesus is praying for him 
uh, that his faith would not fail. But Peter sort of fails to grasp the, uh, the gravity of this situation. Uh, his, we'll look at his response here in, in uh, verse 33. Peter said to him, Lord, I'm ready to go with you both to prison and to death. And Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day until you deny three times that you know me. Peter uh, is kind of is overconfident in his response. He doesn't grasp the gravity that Satan wants to have you tonight, Peter. Um, and he says, I can do this, Jesus. I'm, I'm going with you to prison and to death. And like Peter, we can fail when our confidence is in ourselves and not the king. So what, is, what would overconfidence look like in our lives? Well, maybe it looks like a, a lack of accountability. You know, I can handle this on my own. Or lack of humility. I would never, I would never do that. Or lack of discipline. I don't need training. I'm good enough on my own. We too can be overconfident. It can lead to our failures. And Peter's failure of overconfidence leads right into his second failure. Um, so after the disciples finish their meal with Jesus, Jesus, uh, he leads them out uh, to the Mount of Olives, to the garden. And uh, Jesus tells them to pray that they won't fall into temptation. And think about it. On this critically important evening, when Jesus has just told them that Satan wants to have them tonight, has demanded to have them, he says, don't fall into temptation. If there's ever a night to stay up all night praying, tonight's that night. But what do the disciples do? They fall asleep. So like Peter, we too can fail when we don't pray with the king. And did you know that Jesus is praying for you also? Just like Jesus is interceding for Peter uh, back in verse 32, he's also interceding for us. Look with me at Romans 8, 34. It says, Christ Jesus is the one who died, more than that, who was raised and who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Jesus is interceding for us too. Are you praying with him? How's praying going for you right now? Think about the Lord's Prayer, where this is the model prayer that Jesus gives his disciples. And he says, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Are you praying that God would deliver you from evil? And are you relying on his power to deliver you? Or are you, like Peter, relying on your own? So Peter's first two failures are a failure of overconfidence in himself and a failure to pray with Jesus. Jesus, Peter's third failure, I think, is the, the, kind of the heart of the issue here. It's going to take the most time to explain, so we'll spend the most time there. And that is that, like Peter, we can fail when we misunderstand the king. So I want us to step out again and look at the larger context of what's happening throughout, uh, throughout this chapter. Going back to the Last Supper, it's clear that Jesus is trying to tell something really important to the disciples, and they just don't seem to be getting it. Jesus says he's instituting a new covenant with them. And that should just alarm bells should be going off in their heads. That, what, that, that phrase, a new covenant, comes right from Jeremiah chapter 31, uh, when uh, God told Jeremiah that in the future he would, create a, he would establish a new covenant with his people in which he would write his law on their hearts. And here Jesus is at the Last Supper telling the disciples, this is that moment when I'm doing that new covenant with you. Instead of grasping that and digging into what does that mean, Jesus? What are the implications? The disciples quickly start bickering about which one of them is the greatest. After that, Jesus warns them about this, uh, this, this spiritual battle that they're a part of. and He, he references uh, swords. He's using that term metaphorically. The disciples think he, they need to get real swords. Uh, then he tells them to pray in the garden. They fall asleep. They fail to pray with him. And then when the crowd comes to arrest Jesus, the disciples try to defend him with violence. 
but Jesus actually allows himself to be arrested. So there's this disconnect happening between the disciples and Jesus all night long, um, and they don't, they don't quite get the kind of king that Jesus is. Now with that in mind, let's go back and look again at Peter's comment in verse 33. He says, Lord, I'm ready to go with you both to prison and to death. And we've established that Peter is, is overconfident here in his response. But keep, keep that response in mind and look with me at uh, verses 49 and 50. Um, Jesus is now in the garden and the crowd has come to arrest him. And it says, When those who were around him saw what would follow, so the disciples, when they saw what was happening, they said, Lord, shall we strike with the sword? And one of them struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his right ear. Now Luke doesn't tell us uh, which disciple it was that pulled out his sword and struck the servant of the high priest, uh, but John does in, in John's gospel. And, and it shouldn't surprise us that, uh, that John identifies Peter as the one who pulled out his sword. So think about this with me for a minute. Um, in this moment, when an armed crowd comes to arrest Jesus, um, Peter actually is willing. I mean, he has to have known what the consequences could be of pulling out his sword in that moment. He could easily be arrested with Jesus or killed right there. So in that moment, Peter was willing to die for Jesus. Let's keep reading and see what happens. Verse 54, uh, They, the crowd, seized him, Jesus, and led him away, bringing him into the high priest's house. And Peter was following at a distance. And when they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat down among them. Then a servant girl, seeing him as he sat in the light and looking closely at him, said, This man also was with him. But he denied it, saying, Woman, I do not know him. Just a few verses ago, Peter was willing to pull out a sword in front of an armed crowd to defend Jesus. In this moment, a servant girl, someone with no power and no status in that society, confronts him and he melts. No, I don't even know who you're talking about. What changed for Peter between verse 50, when he pulled out his sword for Jesus, and verse 57, when he denied that he even knew him? Well, Luke doesn't tell us uh, for sure, but I think, I think what happens is that the moment when Jesus allows himself to be arrested, I think that messes Peter up. What well, we know of the disciples from throughout this whole scene, that they're not quite tracking with who Jesus really is, what kind of a king he really is, as well as what we know about expectations of who the Messiah was supposed to be, I think that that moment is something that Peter just can't fit into his categories right now, that the Messiah would allow himself to be arrested. And it messes him up so much that he can't even admit that he knows him a few verses later to a servant girl. You see, I think Peter was willing to die for a triumphant warrior king, the kind of king that he's expecting. But he was not yet willing to die for a suffering, nonviolent servant king. Peter isn't ready for the kingdom to come through humiliation and submission and suffering. Peter's problem is not an unwillingness to die, but an unwillingness to suffer for a suffering king. Sometimes I'm like this too. You know, I'd rather fight for Jesus than be like Jesus. Um, you know, with an atheist friend or someone, and I'd rather destroy someone in an argument than patiently listen to their perspective. Or when someone insults me, I try to cut back twice as deep. And in those moments, I want Jesus to be a warrior king and not, not a suffering king. 
What kind of king do you want to follow when a coworker or a classmate cuts you down? What kind of king are you following when you post to social media? Some of us have no problem in that space being a public Christian, but can we be suffering Christians? Like Peter, we fail when we follow the wrong kind of king. We, we make Jesus into the kind of king we want him to be in the moment rather than the king he actually is. And eventually Peter is going to get this. In Acts chapter 4, he's going to be brought before the same council as Jesus. And they're going to tell him to stop preaching in the name of Jesus. And he and John are going to say, we can't help but speak about the things we've seen and heard. In Acts chapter 12, after his friend and fellow apostle James has been killed, Peter's going to actually go to prison for Jesus. And we also see this in his first, his first letter, 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 21 to 23. And I think the events of this night are still very fresh on his mind. And he says this, he says, Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Jesus' suffering is an example for us to follow, not reviling in return, not threatening when we suffer, but following Jesus' example. A church tradition says that Peter did follow that example, that uh, later he's going to be in Rome, and during the time of Nero, uh, he's going to be crucified during a persecution that took place during that time. Peter followed through. Well, let's, let's read the rest of the story really quickly um, and see what happens next. Verse 58, so he's already denied Jesus one time. And here uh, in verse 58, he sa it says, And a little later, someone else saw him and said, You also are one of them. But Peter said, Man, I am not. And after an interval of about an hour, still another insisted, saying, Certainly this man also was with him, for he too is a Galilean. But Peter said, Man, I do not know what you are talking about. And immediately, while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter, and Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he had said to him, Before the rooster crows today, you will deny, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. Peter's three denials here are the culmination of his failures to this point. He was overconfident, he didn't pray, and he wasn't willing to follow a suffering king. The seeds of Peter's denial have already been sown, and here the plant inevitably sprouts. Now this is why spiritual disciplines are so important and why we talk about them all the time around here. Spiritual disciplines like reading our Bibles, praying, fasting, uh, taking time for solitude and silence. They prepare us for these kind of moments when the heat is on by training our hearts and our minds so that we will respond like Jesus. It's one reason we encourage you to participate in practices like the Form.life, which you can still sign up for, uh, you can still participate in. Well, we want, we want these disciplines to form us to respond like Jesus. Now let's return uh, to the question we asked at the outset. Why is this story in the Bible? And I think it's because like Peter, we will fail, and Jesus already knows it, and we pray that our failures aren't as spectacular as Peter's or the ones we read about in the news, but we will fail. Jesus knows we'll fail, um, but how does the story of Peter's failure end? Well, unlike Judas, who, uh, who kind of wallows in self-pity, Peter weeps over his sin. Did you catch that in verse 62? 
he went outside and he wept bitterly. In Luke's gospel, whenever someone weeps, it's because they are in need of restoration and they know it. And restoration always follows. Therefore, verse 62 is, I think, the first hint that we have that Jesus' love is greater than Peter's failure. And like Peter, we will fail, but Jesus' love is greater than our failure as well. So is there evidence then in, in Luke's gospel that Peter is restored? I think so. We have, Peter is mentioned two more times before the end of the gospel, and I think it's helpful for us to look at both of those cases really quickly. The first occurs in chapter 24, verse 12. And Mary Magdalene and some of the uh, women disciples of Jesus, uh, they've been to the tomb, and uh, they found that it's empty. They've been told that, it is, uh, that Jesus has been uh, raised from the dead, and they return to the, 12, to the 11 apostles, and they tell them what they heard. And it says in verse 11 that the, uh, the apostles did not believe them. Verse 12, but Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb. When we fail, we, don't, we should not wallow in self-pity like Judas, but we should run to the king, run to the empty tomb. Finally, chapter 24, verse 34, is the last time Peter's mentioned in the story. This occurs after uh, two disciples uh, had had an amazing encounter with Jesus while they were walking um, on the road from Jerusalem to a town called Emmaus. And they excitedly, as they realized they've been talking to the resurrected Jesus, they come running back to Jerusalem to tell the 11 apostles about it. And this is what the 11 apostles say. They say, the Lord has, indeed, has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Think about the significance of that. Jesus did not appear yet to all 11 apostles, but only to Peter. Why did Jesus only appear to, to, to Peter at this point? Well, I think it's because they had some things they needed to work out together. Um, I think it's because, uh, and we don't know exactly what was said. Um, this is not the conversation that's recorded in John 21, uh, which takes place in Galilee while, while this is in Jerusalem. Uh, so we don't know what was said, and we don't need to know what was said. Uh, this is a sacred moment that's just between Peter and Jesus. But I think this is probably a moment where, where they're working out what happened, and Jesus is restoring Peter. And we need to have some of these sacred moments with Jesus, too, when we fail. So is there anything that you need to say to Jesus? What's he saying to you? Like Peter, we are in the midst of a spiritual war that we don't fully understand, and Satan wants to mess us up. So let's be humble and not overconfident in ourselves. Let's join with Jesus in praying that we will not fall into temptation and let's rely on his power to deliver us. And let us understand the kind of king that he really is and be willing to suffer with a suffering king. And when you fail, run to the empty tomb. Run to Jesus. His love is greater than your failure.